Ayo Kina, what are we doing here? What? <laughs> what are we doing here? Oh! We're divesting from whiteness. So, I am filled with so many emotions as I prepare to share with the world the final episode of season one of the Divesting from Whiteness podcast. And from my friends and from the internet and from various sources, the statistics suggest that most new podcasts do not make it past episode three. So apparently I have defied the odds, which isn't unlike me because as a Black woman in the United States, as the descendant of enslaved people, I've been defying the odds my whole life. So I am uniquely inspired to continue to tell Black truth and express Black joy and respond and call out anti-Blackness. In this episode with my wonderful, wonderful sister, Mrs. Ratanya Brashear, we explore the, ris- the richness of Black sisterhood, and we are able to talk about our own personal journeys as Black women who have divested from whiteness and started on our own decolonial paths. And I'm thrilled to be able to bring the intimacy of our friendship, of our sisterhood, into this public conversation about the cost of whiteness to all of us. And we explore those costs together in community as we also navigate a conversation around the difference between nice versus kind and how Black womanhood is measured against some pretty impossible standards. And then lastly, my dear sis gives such wonderful advice. She gives wonderful advice for folks across racial identities who are attempting to do the same thing we're doing, which is to decolonize our lives, to fully divest from whiteness. I'm really excited because this episode is going to be the episode leading into Black History Month. And so after you listen to this episode, I feel strongly that you'll be able to really be thoughtful about how we want to go into the month of February. And so I'm going to share some tips about how one can approach Black History Month as a non-Black person in a way that honors Black people. And I hope to share some insight for Black folks about how to engage in a Black History Month experience that honors themselves as well. Once you change your thought pattern, you change your, your attitude. Once you change your attitude, it changes your behavior pattern. And then you go on into some action. As long as you got a sit-down philosophy, you'll have a sit-down thought pattern. And as long as you think that old sit-down thought, you'll be uh, in some kind of sit-down action. They'll have you sitting in everywhere. Break the chains, 
Divesting from whiteness family. Listen, I have a very special tweet. I not a tweet, a treat. I have a special (laughs) treat for y'all. We have my sis, my I don't even have the exact words to I don't I have Ratonia Brash on the line with me today, and we're gonna have a fantastic conversation. But I don't know when, like I just know we were in a Facebook group together. But there's yeah. no one time I could be like, okay, this is when like we connected. It's just like, I always just felt like, oh my gosh, like this is like a better angel out there in the world. <laughs> and I am so honored because you are one of those sisters that I have made community with online that mm-hmm. I can call, that I could talk to. I've called you and been like, can you please give me advice? I've called you and been like upset and crying. So honestly, this feels like, so much more there's like elder wisdom here and the the gift of generational friendship here and the yes. gift of sisterhood here so i mean they're, they're like it's otherworldly <laughs> but for my listeners i need you all to know you can find my good sis she has this amazing a platform called race talk with Matanya. she also does a, like these amazing learning sessions so really this is an anti-racism educator this is a speaker of truth to power this is like uh like a, a street social media philosopher this is like there are no ends to all the shit you do in regular and um online life is what i'll say yeah in, in these social streets, right? Social, <laughs> social media streets. In these in social these, media streets. In these streets where people are, uh, what do you call it? The typing thugs? The, yes, the <laughs> absolutely. Except for absolutely. you, but you're a thug in real life though. Yes, I am. Like, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, transcend, it, it transcends all, right? So like all my spaces, uh, talk to anybody that, uh, you know, that knows Britannia and they'll say, oh, honey, you know, retire. Yeah. They call me a mess. It's you know, she yeah, mess. Some, some people only do it on these internet streets, but some people <laughs> yeah. want it about it for real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Okay, it's so definitely- I know I shared who you are to me, but I would love to give you an opportunity to tell my audience who you are in your own words. Okay. Well, of course, I'm Retanya Brashear, and uh, I am a a a, a grandmother. Um, a wife of 43 years, uh, grown she children. Look, she don't look like it though. Y'all ain't gonna be able to see this, but <laughs> she don't look like it. Well, you know, I, yeah, I, but I do, you know, you know, you know, black don't crack is, is, is really true. Uh, and also, you know, if you do things, you know, I'm health conscious. I try to be as much as I can be and, and, and do those things like exercising. And, you know, I'm 64. So I'm trying to trying to make sure I stay around to at least like 89 or 90. Right. So, so, so but yeah, so I am uh, I started really doing a little bit of uh, looking at my life internally uh, during um uh, uh, Fernando Castillo's uh, murder in, in the public streets. And it really, really hit me hard. I know that there were others before and I remember mourning, but it did not, it didn't mourn me to 
it didn't do impact me enough to start changing mm -hmm. the way I was living, right? And so, but uh, uh, Fernando Castile did, and uh, Alton Sterling did. And when it, when I mean it did, I my life turned a hundred and you know eighty degrees or. 360 degrees or whatever you want to say, it flipped itself upside down. And I was in white spaces for over 30 years. I mean, you know, neighborhood, church, kids went to school, best friends, all of those things. And unfortunately, you know, doing this journey, I realized that, you know, uh, I was also in a uh, evangelical church, which we never labeled it that, but that's what it was, right? And so I started speaking up through my pain, right, about the 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 um, injustices that I saw uh, in our country, and then I start on a journey of doing research, and it just opened up a floodgate. And I'm a truth teller, so I just start talking about it, and uh, realize that you know people that I was around didn't want to hear it. And I was, and that shocked me because I really believed that these people were my friends and they loved me and, you know, we were in community together. And so I thought, yes, this is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult, but they're going to do it because they love me and they love God, you know? And so, you know, they're going to do it, but, but they didn't. So, yeah. So that was my, that was my intro into you know, uh, the justice world and really seeing if I was going, how I was going to live my life moving forward. And I realized me, I needed to live my life uh, in, a, in a very out loud uh, kind of way. So, so that's what I did. And everything turned upside down for the good, but it was very painful. Oh gosh, so many of the things you just shared resonated with me. But before we get into that, I do want to have you answer the, the check-in question today. Um, around these parts, we recognize that context means everything. So what is shaping your life the most today? The thing that's shaping my life is the desire for liberation for me and all those around me and those that I come in contact with, in contact with. So I try to live a life that promotes a, a, a desire to search after and be a part of the liberation of all. That's good, sis, because I think a lot of times, especially when we're talking about racial justice, I think people assume that we're trying to recreate um, hierarchy or create like a system of black supremacy right and that's not what's happening here no absolutely not <laughs> uh, so when we talk about people getting free from anti-racism when we we talk about people you know deconstructing their faith whatever it is we want people to live in complete liberty absolutely absolutely right? yeah and and it's interesting because I think I, I think at least for me, my journey, because I think we all pro progress in a certain kind of way, right? And so my journey did start off with, look at the all the injustices around us, look at how black people have been treated, look at you know what has happened in our past and what happened to our ancestors. But I think as you move, continue to move on, you realize the only way that we are going to be free as black 
people is that everybody else has to be free too. So that's the part where, you know, uh, liberation starts because I don't believe white people are free. You know, I, I believe they are um, um, plagued with a, a delusional truth uh, that causes them uh, a lot of harm, even though they may not recognize it or believe that that's what it's doing, right? Um, to actually believe that you are better than someone because your skin is a different tone is really actually delusional. And so all of us needing to work through, you know, those, those um, kinds of ideologies, uh, I think can bring all of us liberation, which means when one is not free, none is free, but when one is free, all can can be free so yeah i mean you know even when we talk about this idea of like liberation you know that's something i i often tell folks that violent systems even for the people who may be empowered by them they're still imprisoned so absolutely patriarchy still imprisons men you know absolutely white supremacy still imprisons white people and today we're we're talking about white folks like you know this is something I've said casually before, um, but I think it's a really important thing to stand on, which is I'm not going to let white people kill me. And absolutely. I think in the last two years, we've seen how whiteness and white supremacy culture work in tandem to kill yes. not only us, you know, but other white people. But I don't want to talk about white people, but I do want to talk about. Like, cause I feel like our journeys are so similar. Like for me, it, Alton Sterling moving in the city, moving to the city where he had been murdered. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. That definitely was one of the things that created, I think Trayvon Martin's murder helped me realize, oh shit. Yes, absolutely. Done, right. Like this is not yeah. fun. And then Alton Sterling's murder made me say, oh shit. Like, I have to be the change that I need to see manifested. Yeah, um, because absolutely. Because people will indeed kill me too. Yes, absolutely. So when I use that phrase, I'm not about to let these white people kill me, I would love to know, like, what does that mean to you? Does it seem outlandish? Do we, does it sound like, Keena, you're just being dramatic? I would love to know your reaction to that. Well, no, I, I you know, so for me, Mine's probably a little different, but I, I, what I started realizing is that is I am not going to center whiteness because whiteness does not allow me to be my authentic self. And I believe if you're not your authentic self, eventually you can, you know, it will, it, it, it will kill your, your spirit. Uh, it literally can kill your body, right? It can kill uh, your dreams, your aspirations. Uh, it can even kill the ability to, to uh, give your, your family and, and, and your children and, and your offspring uh, or those around you, nieces and nephews, your full ability to, to love and care and bring joy, right? So I started this uh, divesting from whiteness uh, as soon as I started this journey almost six years ago, right? So I uh, decolonized my books. Uh, I de decolonized uh, the things that I watch on television. Uh, my husband will tell you, uh, and with, with some uh, intrepidation, 
that if it's not black led, Britannia's not watching it. That didn't used to be the case, right? But what it's brought for me in such a notable way is so much black joy, black pride. Uh, uh, I am so proud of who the divine made me, right? That he chose me to be in this body, that they chose me to be in this body. And I am, I, it, it brings such joy, but that's because I've cultivated that, right? I intentionally do those things to surround myself. And so that's how I protect myself from whiteness killing me, <laughs> is, I, is I surround myself with black joy, black intellect, uh, black, black normacy, right? Just being normal, right? Because you know, a lot of times uh, blackness is only accepted if it's in an excellent form, right? It's not necessarily accepted sometimes when it's just normal or, 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 or uh, not grandiose, right? So, so I love the grandioseness of blackness, but I also like, you know, the steady pace. I'm just here, I'm just living my life. I'm just working it out just like everybody else. Well, I, you know, I was going to add to, I love the rapidness component, right? And so yes. in my most anti, the, the most anti, the most anti-Black version oh. of myself, right? Because that yeah. I have to name that that was a part of who I was for a very long time. I was the person who would feel very empowered to critique you know, those people that we would name, I don't, I, I even hate using those words, but you know the words, right? Like ghetto or hood or right. whatever. Right. Because I was above that. I was superior. I had done the work, quote unquote, right. to no longer be associated with that. And so. Yes. Yeah. So you things, bought, yeah. So you bought into the respectability politics, right? Respectability politics. And so one of the things that I've you know, so you're talking about like that normalcy or whatever. One of the things I've been able to learn how to like reappreciate is like the, the like whatever we call that ratchet element of our culture, right? And yes. I mean, I feel like we should complicate that shit too, but that's another podcast discussion. Right, right. You know? But I've even learned how to find value in that. Like, I was absolutely. Right? Like, I was literally a couple of weeks ago, you'll get a kick out of this story. I was at Walgreens. It was like very early in the morning. It was like before 8 a.m. That's not right. the time I usually maneuver life, but right. it was really bad. And so there was this guy and I would only imagine that he was probably leaving somebody's house because I mean, he was fresh to death. So I'm oh, wow. imagining this was like his club outfit from the night before. Okay. <laughs> so he had on like five different princes. All right. He was living. Oh, Lord. I love it. I he, love had like, it. he had like a long old Cadillac. The music was banging. It was some of this new hip hop. It's probably right. baby, one of those people, you know, I don't right. listen to all these new folks. Right. But he was just like, you could just like, the music was loud. The clothes was loud. He was mm -hmm. just his life. And, 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 and I saw him and I smiled. And yes. I was like, look at that black boy joy. Okay, okay. Yes. And then when I walked into Walgreens, I was like, Tina, this is how you know you've been delivered. That's right. That's right. that's right. A couple of years ago, I would have been. Oh my gosh! Yes, you would have been embarrassed and ashamed, and yes, yes. And oh, look bad with that loud music. And yes, uh, yes, uh, 
Yeah. Black man in the United States to listen to his music loud as he wants to with the That's idea right. that cops are always trying to find a reason to stop him in the car in the first damn place. That's, That's right. resistance. Absolutely. It is. It is actually just us living our Black lives out loud is a form of resistance, right? That we don't have to go in some shed and cover ourselves up just so that we are we are not making black white folks uncomfortable, right? Because white making white people uncomfortable has been deadly for black people for centuries, right? We see that in, oh, they should have been quiet, or if they just would have done what the police said, or if they wouldn't have used that tone, right? Nobody should die because of the tone. But see, that's what we have to investigate. So again, going back to this idea, I'm not gonna let these white people kill me. Like a lot of that is about authenticity for sure. And I wanna come back to something you said earlier, but I think a part of that is also like recognizing that I need to step into, I have to live every second in my truth. Yes. Whatever that is. Right. And if I could be killed from white supremacy for, holding a cell phone yes i mean then there's nothing that this the system doesn't protect me in any regard anyway right right so why should i hover and coddle whiteness as a survival mechanism absolutely so i just might as well go and live my best life out loud because I don't know when it's going to be gone anyway, right? And I, so I should live it to the, to the fullest, which means, you know, the word unapologetic is something I use a lot because I remember seeing my mom and grandma live their lives, even though they were very strong and independent and beautiful Black women, a lot of times they would tr- they'd live their lives apologizing, right? Uh, to whiteness or uh, those circles of being, you know, my mother, especially at her work, because my mom did not, uh, she did not raise us in whiteness. She raised us in black church, a uh, black community, but she went to white work every day. And I knew that a lot of times she would come home and her heart was heavy and sad. And that's because she had to be there and deal and live in that kind of situation all the time. Right. And so I saw her not be not be unapologetically black when she was at work, that she saved that for home. And um and what I took from that, even from a young age, is that I didn't want to, I didn't want to be that way because I didn't want to come home angry, uh, and tired, and frustrated, and exhausted because I had been shut up all day at work with white people. So yeah, I moved to a lot of different jobs because I wasn't, because <laughs> I just wasn't going to do that. I was like, this is who I am. Yeah. When you say not going to let like white folks kill me, it's like not going to let them kill my spirit and my dreams and aspirations. I would love for you to expand on that if that's something you would feel comfortable sharing. Well, I just, um, you know, a lot of times because I was in white spaces all the time, I was always denying myself my full expression because I wanted, because I thought I was too much for them, right? So I lived 30 years and I didn't, you have to realize, Tina, I didn't realize that's what I was doing, right? I didn't realize until after I started this journey of dismantling white supremacy inside of me that I had squelched all this because I kind of thought I was kind of proud and blacking out at, you know, but I remember, I remember when Trayvon Martin was murdered and I spoke up about it and I got so much backlash from my 
white friends that I, that I didn't talk about it anymore. Even though it grieved me, you know, I didn't talk about it anymore because I didn't want to have an argument with them. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, and so, so, you, so you took that grief and you swallowed it. And I put it down and I didn't, but I didn't realize that's what I was doing. Right. I was just saying, okay, you know, be at peace with all men. Right. <laughs> so, 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 you know, I covered it up with a scripture. <laughs> Oh, right. Jesus told you. Yes. Yeah, told you to stop talking. Yes. Stop talking. Be at peace. You're not being, why are you being so disruptive? Right. And of course, those things were never said to me, but that was implied to me. Right. I'm writing my book about my journey out of white uh, uh, church and white culture. And one of the, one of the, I, I tell a couple of stories and of course I don't name names, but I don't have to, because if they read the book, they know who I'm talking about. But uh, I, you know, I tell a couple of stories about how interacting with white people, especially when I first started this journey, right? They were all coming, checking, making sure I wasn't posting about them on Facebook. You're not talking about me, are you? You don't mean our church, do you? You don't mean, you know, well, yeah, if it fits, yeah, I do mean you, right? But before I would have said, no, I'm not talking about you guys. You know, that would have been, you know, because I'm, I don't want them to feel hurt or I don't want them to be uncomfortable because we have to realize that we were brought, our ancestors were brought to this land that was stolen so that we could make white people comfortable. So for 400 years, our, in our DNA has been to make white people comfortable, even though that may not be what we think it was. It, that's what it has been. So I always have to check myself and go, am I, am I be, why am I doing this? Am I doing this to make people comfortable or am I, or, or am I living my truth, right? Am and I I'm, living out loud? And I want to hit that, like, like we're passing the blunt around. I want to hit that right fast, but like even you saying it, is this really, like it creates this visceral reaction to me. Mm -hmm. about we're used to making white people comfortable yeah. even at our own expense even at our own expense most of the time it's at our own expense <laughs> yeah because like thinking about what that did to your heart right yeah. you're not mm -hmm. talking about grieving Trayvon like that right. that had physiological I'm sure that had a like it created a physiological response Rather Absolutely. that meant that you weren't sleeping well that week or whatever, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Or you had anxiety, but the, the, there was a, I am sure that that swallowing of grief, it landed in your body someplace. Well, you know, my, my, so mine usually lands in my body with private tears. And so that is sitting in the car. Uh, so a combination of years when, when, when Jotham Bond, uh, when, when, well, okay, uh, how you say his name? Botham John, John was murdered, right? When he was murdered. So I cried over Trayvon just a little bit and then silenced it because I was still so in the white culture, smack dab in the middle of it. You know, I was the, um, I was the uh, black person that made white people not think they weren't racist, right? That's, that was me. Girl, you, know, you were the you were the you were the black friend. 
I was a back, I was a black friend. They could go, listen, we like Ritanya, and Ritanya's crazy and loud and black and proud. And if we like her and take her everywhere and hang out with her, we surely can't be racist, right? So yeah. Uh, and she talk out loud and you know, don't care nobody what nobody says, you know. But I did care what people said. It just it just looked like I didn't, right? But uh, so what I did when 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 Volkman died. And the day after I was driving and I just, I literally, my, you know, like my heart began to sink and I drove in my driveway and parked my car in my garage and I sat in my car and cried for two hours. Literally couldn't stop. It was like, and it was a gut wrenching. And that was for Trayvon and altered and and Michael, you know, Michael Brown, it was for all of them, but it was a two hour, two hour, yeah. So it physically did something to me. Not being able to tell people we're not okay. Yeah. Does physically, it does cause a physical reaction. It absolutely does. It absolutely does. And I don't want to like become Miss Queen of Statistics over here. But what I want to cite is like, you know, the number one, uh, you know, killer of women, um, particularly Black women, is heart disease. Yeah, I, I, I believe it. I believe it. And so when I hear your story, when I hear those things, I think how much of that is not, you know, I mean, we can have a conversation about like diet and hypertension and food deserts for sure. But I think there's a component of that conversation that goes along, right alongside with those silent tears yeah, of mm-hmm. refraining from defending oneself at work because you don't want to seem angry. Right. Of right. being in the, in the, in the, in the, in the meeting and not saying things when you're experiencing the toxicity and violence of white supremacy culture. Yeah. And, and that, those things I choose not to do anymore, Kenya. Yeah. I don't. I, I just don't. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it'll cost you your life. That's right. That's right. And I'm just, you know, and and I think, so for me, that's a part of my liberation. My, that's the part of setting myself free, right? So it can't, so it can't, it free, the more I am willing to call a thing a thing, right? And, and the things that I do is, is not with in, in, animosity, right? It's, um, you know, I, I was talking to a group of women and we were talking about, you know, nice and nice versus kind. And everybody knows I am not nice. I have never tried to be nice. Um, niceness, I think, is a symptom of white supremacy. Look, you are my people. You are my people. I tell people that all the time. I'm not a yeah. nice girl. No. Yeah, I'm kind. No. That's a different thing because yep. I think because kindness comes from uh, the the heart, right? Niceness is actually a performance kind of thing. Like anybody can be nice and will turn around and cut you and stab you in the back in a minute, right? but they turn around, smile on your face and they nice. Right. So, so uh, for me, um, I don't really care if people think I'm nice, but I want to walk away from a, a conversation with them or uh, a, spending a day with them. And they go, wow, you know, that was, you know, that was impactful. That was powerful. I can see the kindness of her heart. Um, but 
you know, I'm not, I'm not going to go, oh girl, no, no. <laughs> yeah. I had a friend that was so nice. She was such a nice person. And then I started on this journey and I just saw just how horrible she actually was. She showed me who she really was when I started talking about white supremacy. Look, yeah. <laughs> no, okay. So let me ask you this. This is, I'm, I mean, if you, if someone is listening to this and they're a personal, like a person of color, if they identify as BIPOC, if they're a black person, if it's another black woman and this resonates with them, right? They're like, shit, I, I'm letting these white people kill me. I'm letting my yeah. white colleagues kill me or I'm letting my white interracial relationship kill my spirit or I'm letting my white church members yeah. traumatize me. If you could like give them encouragement or advice, what would it be? And this is specific to people of color, black and brown. I would tell them to be willing to be their full selves, even, even if at the end of the day, they will lose some of those white people around them, right? And that that's sometimes it's hard. And there is a mourning period that you go through. Cause I, when I left my white church, I went to about three months of mourning. Uh, it only took three months cause I was done, <laughs> but I did, I went through, but I would tell them that it is more important that you are free and whole and you're living your truth than it is to be surrounded by white people that tell you that you are special and oh every you know you you know you don't act like the rest of them girl Girl. to have those false you're not like you're not like other black people yes so they're giving you false accolades right so that you will stay in line and make sure you're keeping them comfortable and not challenging them to grow and to move away from their racist ideology. And they don't want you to do that. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Advice for the white people who are listening, who are like, shit, I think white people are killing me too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, my advice for, for white people is that Uh, realize that racism affects you too. That white supremacy is a deadly disease that is internalized inside of yourself and that you upholding that and continuing. So what you're gonna do is, so this is what I believe. I believe that you will actually lose more by holding on than letting go of whiteness. Girl, I you, believe you just made me decide that I don't even need to do this podcast no more. Cause like, I, what can I say after that? Like, there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing. There's nothing well, no. And I think you still need to do this be, because I think it's important. <laughs> well, okay. Just like I do my classes looking through, uh, you know, looking at white women through the lens of L I F E. And the reason I do that is because I know that first of all, there are women and people out there who want to change, right? But sometimes, you know, whiteness gets us all caught up. 
right? So but white people have always got to be doing something where they are challenging themselves to divest from whiteness. Because what Christina Cleveland said, shout out to her, I know she's not listening, but shout out to her anyway, is that whiteness will always revert back to whiteness if it's not on a journey of continually dismantling the whiteness inside of them. And so that's why we do these kind of things to help give them, uh, you know, opportunity, but they also need to be paying us for while we're doing it, okay? Uh, As well. like the young people would say, period, poo. <laughs> okay, so tell the people how to find you. They want to learn more. You have this amazing, you mentioned the seminar that you do. You do it um, regularly throughout the year, but tell people how they can learn from you, how they can support you. Like, how can they plug into the work you're doing that is so good and so righteous? Uh, well, uh, on Instagram, I have a page called Race Talks with Retanya, and uh, that's where I do a lot of my, uh, I do little snippet talks, you know, they're never over maybe 13 minutes, but just, 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 just uh, things that, you know, come in my brain. I'm kind of like Kenya. If something come in my brain, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go somewhere live and talk about it for a minute. Uh, but my, but my, um, workshop that I do, do uh, it, it, it came out of the Little Fires Everywhere um, uh, show on Hulu. And I have a dear friend who is white and we were, she said, you know what, white women need to really unpack this and not look at this as like a show and oh, that person is, that little white woman is horrible and yet not see themselves in that little white woman, right? And so she said, I'm gonna get a group together and we're gonna do a Zoom. And she asked me to come on as, you know, to, to like to text her and say, okay, now you need to really handle that because that's getting off. And so, so I decided, you know, that I would do that because, you know, I lived in white spaces for 30 years, over 30 years. And I had, you know, three or four of my best friends were white women. So I've been around white women for a long time. Right. And so I said, yeah, I'll come and do that. And when I did, after the meeting was over, I texted her and said, okay, so I'm going to need to facilitate this because all you guys did was talk about how horrible that lady was and not how what that lady does is things that you do yourself. And so what we're doing is we're, we're taking an intricate look at the violence of woman, of white womanhood in this group, but it's not in a way that shames white women. Like that's, I'm not about that, but it is a way that calls you in to look at yourself and to see how you can do less harm as you walk throughout your life. And so that's on the page. And I also am on uh, Facebook because I'm old. Because <laughs> I'm old, so I like Facebook. And I'm on- um, Oh, I like Facebook too. Twitter, yeah. too. I always tell people Twitter is the cool kids table on the internet. Girl, listen, Twitter makes me Twitter makes me anxious. Like I will, I check my Twitter page twice a week. Like that literally. I go through and I try to post something once a month on Twitter. Uh, I, I do more on Instagram, uh, but Facebook is still my, is still my place of, uh, and that's just Retanya Brashear on Facebook. I'm, you know, I, I post there very often, um, but yeah. So um, yeah, so that's it. I, you know, I am trying to, you know, when I'm gone, I want people to say, you know what? She really did try to live a liberated life 
and affect those around her. So and that's you my- have the liberated life and you are living a liberating life and you are inspiring and creating frameworks for generations to come. I appreciate that. Thank you. The conversation with Britannia was so important and I'm so thankful to have started the premiere season with the wonderful Letty Gore and to have ended it with this amazing elder, this inspiring Black woman who I'm so grateful to have as part of my community. So one of the things that I haven't done in this premiere season is really talk about why I made the decision to walk away from whiteness. And I won't (laughs) go into too much detail now, season two, (laughs) a little bit of a spoiler for you. But what I will share in this moment is that there is a cost associated with pursuing Black liberation. And right now in my life, I feel like I'm in the thick of it. Part of decolonizing my life has made it impossible for me to no longer see the racial terrorism that is promoted in every institution, in every policy, in every norm of our society here in the United States. And so finding the ways that I can within my influence, within my power, keep myself safe is exhausting work. And I'm gonna be honest, y'all, there are days where I wish that I could swallow a pill and forget that I know how violent the world is. There are days where I wish I could go back to being the black person who laughed when someone said, you're not like other black people. That life felt easier and it was easier because I could pretend that supremacy culture and whiteness weren't slowly killing me the people I love, and the community at large. And so I want to say with all of the compassion that I can hold that every day when we choose something more than whiteness, we are being brave. We are showing showing tremendous courage, but it always comes at a cost. And it's going to cost us all at various levels and various things something to rid the world of the toxicity of whiteness. I appreciate people for for listening, for engaging. And as we get ready to enter Black History Month, I want to give some support to my fellow Black people who are listening to this podcast. And hopefully this episode really resonated with y'all. You deserve at all times and always rest and joy and ease. But if you didn't feel like you deserve that every day of your life, you definitely damn sure deserve that in February. And so I want to encourage black people every day, but especially during the month of February to make sure that you are prioritizing your joy. That is your pleasure and increase it as much as you can. Make sure you're prioritizing your rest, your ability to both relax and recover, get strength back, and then make sure that you are prioritizing your ease. And that's your ability to have relief 
and to be comfortable. I also really want to encourage you all to center your storytelling to yourself and not to others. The truth of the matter is that during this month, lots of Black people will be called to engage in lots of labor. Most of it will be free. People are going to want to have conversations with you or send you emails or have you talk about your, your, your experience as a Black person in the company. And a lot of times that shit will be for free. And it will come at a cost to you. And I suggest that you don't pay it any longer. If you want to share stories about the richness of your Black experience, share that with other Black people who will honor that and not consume it or use it against you. I also want to encourage you to participate in the Great Book Exchange. So I'm excited because every spring, well, not every spring, but this will be the second year that we'll engage in the spring, we'll engage in the spring book exchange. And this year we're going to be reading the book that we selected is Dr. Christina Cleveland's God is a Black Woman. And I believe this book will be transformative for so many people, even people who don't identify as Black. But if you are a Black person, feel free to check out the website, follow the link, and find out more about the Great Book Exchange this spring. Lastly, if you are someone who is not Black, there are definitely some things you can do to engage in Black History Month in a way that is honoring Black people's lives. One, recognize that Black History Month is not a space that should center white comfort. In fact, it's important that you realize that as white people in particular, white comfort often will oppose Black liberation. So don't engage in content that applauds your effort or gives you a trophy for just showing up to have the conversation. The second thing I want to encourage you to do if you're not if you're not a black person is recognize that you're always a guest in black spaces. And this includes people who have who might consider themselves as POCs, people of color, but people who even have other marginalized identities in other spaces. So for example, if you are someone who is Asian American and queer, you do have a marginalized identity that expands across the globe, but you would still be considered a guest in Black spaces. And the last thing I would encourage people who aren't Black during Black History Month to do is use this as a time to, to reassess and measure your goal line. So for example, when anyone starts a regular workout plan or fitness regimen, people tell you to set notable goals. So maybe the first month you started, you know, walking on the treadmill, you could only do 20 minutes without being super winded, super winded and uncomfortable. But then you make a goal and you say, well, by the end of three months, I should be able to do 20 minutes on the treadmill and not get super tired. And then at the end of six months, I should be able to do an hour on the treadmill. So as a person who is not Black, but who is in support of Black liberation, you need to start thinking about where are these goal lines, these benchmarks 
these measurements of your own personal growth. And alongside measuring your growth as a non-Black person in support of Black liberation, you should also really be assessing your own personal anti-racist and decolonial journeys. So ask yourself, am I honoring Black lives, Black stories, or do I find myself being a frequent consumer of Blackness? Because those things are very different. Lastly, I'd like to encourage you as non-Black people to support Black History Month and Black people during the month by amplifying Black voices, not amplifying people who use Black voices. Because unfortunately, this month is going to be riddled with people who aren't Black citing all types of Black shit and wanting credit for that. So if we're going to reshare posts, make sure it's a post by an actual Black person and not one of those random can't figure out who the creator is, websites, or Twitter pages. The second thing you could do to support Black people doing Black History Month is, again, support them in their pursuits of rest, joy, and ease. I want to encourage you all to participate in the great book exchange by making plans to buy Dr. Christina Cleveland's amazing book for a Black person or maybe multiple Black people. You can find out more about the great book exchange on my website as well as across my Instagram platforms. And then if you're curious about how to support this Black person in particular, the Black person is Kina we're talking about, I would love to have you review, share episodes, or the entire season of season one of the Divesting from Whiteness podcast. And then plan on supporting my rest, joy, and ease. Now, I've already decided that I'm hashtag calling in Black for the entire month of February. I am overdue from for some real rest joy and ease in my life but also I don't want to deal with the white shenanigans that will be happening on the interwebs during this time and so please if you can leave reviews for the podcast but also consider financially supporting my rest by checking out my paypal or my cash app or you can even decide to buy books at my bookshop. And lastly, plan on supporting my good sis, Batania. She has Race Talk with Batania. The links for her, her workshop will be in the show notes. And so feel free to reach out to her to affirm her and also help her have some more rest, joy, and ease in her life too. Thank you for making this premiere season so wonderful, so special, and as always, continue to do good works. Bye.